Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Psalms 24 verse 1 says, quote, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Of all the things that Jesus spoke about, the only thing that Jesus spoke about more than money was the kingdom of God. Amazingly, there are about 500 scriptures on faith and 500 scriptures on prayer, but there are over 2,000 scriptures that relate to money. It has often been said that either you have a hold of your money or your money has a hold of you. Let's open our Bible now and begin the process of learning how to be good stewards of the Lord's money. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It's a Monday morning here in Texas and uh, hopefully y'all loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus like we say every time and uh, growing to be a, uh, a more deliberate and intentional disciple of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. Um, I, don't, I don't know what number teaching this is in the series. Um, the series has grown, just the, 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 the subject of a disciple of Jesus is large. And as we've said, this, uh, you know, this, this series is really a, a curriculum for discipleship, so to speak, how to be a more intimate, more effective, more devoted disciple of Jesus Christ, the more fruitful disciple of Jesus Christ, how to be a disciple that's growing to be more like Jesus in every aspect of our lives, spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, and relationally. And so, all right, today um, we're going to begin the, uh, the topic of money. This is an absolutely massive topic. It, there's, there's more about money in the scriptures than anything that I've, that I've studied so far. Um, it's remarkable. I mean, just preparing for this, uh, I did not know the immensity of the subject. Of course, I had heard, uh, you know, that Jesus spoke about money more than anything else besides the, the kingdom of God. Uh, besides the kingdom of God, uh, Jesus references money uh, more than anything else. Um, and that, that says something. Okay. And we're going to talk about why that is. Um, but again, there's just so much here that this will need to be actually a three part, um, three parts on money. Um, you know, we're going to talk again, just about, you know, uh, in the first part, we're going to talk about, you know, just, uh, you know, the purpose of money, um, the, the fact that it's not ours, that we're stewards of it, just like we are our time, our talents, we're stewards of our, of our money. It doesn't belong to us. Everything we are belongs to Jesus. Everything we have belongs to Jesus. We don't own anything. And, you know, nowhere is this more prevalent by far, uh, than in our money and how we manage and handle our money. So we're going to talk about just the purpose of money, um, you know, how we're to view money. Uh, then the next time we're going to go into, you know, how much, you know, how much of our money should we use, um, you know, for Jesus and the kingdom of God and, um, and, and where should we give it? Um, and then the, in the last part, we're going to do one of the, <clears throat> one of the parables that Jesus gave us, you know, that'll really just solidify all these points. So it's just, uh, wow. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, your grace on our lives. We thank you that we have our Bible, Father. We thank you that we have our Bible. But above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a perfect, righteous life on our behalf that we can never live. We thank you for dying a torturous death on our behalf that we should have died. And we thank you that you are alive and risen today. And we worship you today, Lord Jesus. We worship you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. We ask you to give us eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that understand. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. Um, our, uh, you know, our key verse again for the series is Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Wow. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, there it is. There's the great commission that's called. Jesus has commissioned us one and all. It's a commission for all of us. Now, we've said in the first two teachings that you, you have to be a Christian before you can be a disciple. You have to have received Christ into your heart, right? John 1.12, yet to all who received him, Jesus, uh, to those who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. When you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Jesus literally comes to live inside of you. He becomes one with you in spirit. You're married to Jesus. You're part of the bride of Christ and the body of Christ. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit comes to live in you and now, you know, gives you eternal life, gives you spiritual life. And now, you know, you can you can begin this process of understanding the things of God and, and the word of God and the son of God, and you can grow to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But a disciple is different than a Christian, okay? A Christian is someone who is trusting in Jesus, relying on Jesus, clinging to Jesus alone, knowing that they're hopeless, helpless, desperate without Jesus. And they've ran to Jesus and received him and are trusting in him alone for the forgiveness of their sins the salvation of their soul, deliverance from eternal hell, and to go to heaven when they die. Um, if you're in that place currently, then you are a Christian. You're saved. Your sins are forgiven. God the Father is your heavenly Father. Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and Master and King. God the Holy Spirit your guide, your counselor, your comforter. You're a child of God. You'll go to heaven when you die. A disciple is something different, however. A disciple is an apprentice of Christ. It's a follower of Christ. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is deliberately and intentionally trying to model every aspect of their life after Jesus. They want to be like Jesus. They have a desire to not only follow Jesus, but they want to be like him. They want to be like their master. And, the, and there is a pattern of their life that, that, that's clear. Okay, a disciple of Jesus Christ, uh, to be called a disciple of Jesus Christ and not just a Christian, there should be a noticeable pattern in your life where, you know, there's a level of devotion, a level of growing devotion to Jesus, um, to get to know him better, to walk with him more intimately, and above all, to obey him more and more and to repent where we fall short. Now, again, being a disciple of Jesus and growing as a disciple of Jesus is a lifelong process. But you simply want to ask yourself, do I have a pattern of, 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 of really trying to be an apprentice of Jesus? Am I throughout my days, day by day by day by day, spending time with Jesus growing to know Jesus, spending time in the word of God, spending time in prayer and thanksgiving and praise and worship? Do I have a lifestyle of spending time in repentance, of examining myself and, you know, I'm being convicted over my sin and joyfully going before the Lord and, and you know, and, and, and just repenting and, and just, you know, just continually walking with Jesus? Is there this pattern in your life at some level? Now, again, some are much further along in the process. No one's in the same place. But are you simply a Christian that goes to church on Sundays and that's really all there is? Or are you trying to bring every aspect of your life, little by little, day by day, week by week, month by month, um, under Jesus Christ, right? Every aspect of your life, meaning spiritually, you know, every aspect of your spiritual life, physical life, emotional life, financial life, and relational life, right? In every aspect, in every one of these categories, we need to be living for Jesus, loving for Jesus, giving for Jesus, and forgiving for Jesus, right, Armando? All right, and so today we're gonna, we're gonna begin, you know, part one on a disciple of Jesus Christ and money. So the first scripture I want to look at is 1 Samuel 2, verse 7. 1 Samuel 2, verse 7 says, the Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. 
I'll read it again. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. After that, I'm going to read Psalm 24, verse 1. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. What does this make clear? Okay. This makes clear that everything belongs to Jesus. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It's plain. It cannot be misunderstood. He created it. He owns it. He owns everything in it. Jesus, Jesus Christ owns the whole universe. He created the universe, right? Colossians 1, 15 to 17, all things were created by him and for him, right? And in him, all things hold together in him, Jesus. So the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So just again, hear the words, right, Corinne? The earth is the Lord's, Jesus, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So all of our money, every penny we have does not belong to us. We are managers of our money. We are stewards of our money, but it actually belongs to Jesus. It's his money and we're using it on his behalf. Now that right there is kind of a, you know, that's a, that ought to be a paradigm shift in our thinking, right? Rap meaning, you know, just, I, I, I confess that I'm really not, not by any means at the level I should. And this is something I think about, you know, fairly often, um, you know, just, just living out this principle. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it's not mine. It's his. I'm simply a steward of it. And growing really to live life in this way is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy. Okay. It, it really does take immense intentionality and I've got a long way to go in really living my life, you know, consistently with the understanding that I'm a steward of the time that Jesus has given me. My time's not my own, it's his. Of the gifts and talents and skills and capabilities that I have, what I'm talented at, what I'm good at. Um, those are not mine, that belongs to him as well. And my treasure, my money, my resources, all of that is not mine either. All of that belongs to Jesus. And he is the one that's given me what I have. Again, look at 1 Samuel 2, 7. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. So do you see that, May? It's the Lord who's given us, you know, the money that we have because it says the Lord, Jesus, sends poverty and wealth. So, again, if whatever we have in the way of money or we, or we don't have the Lord is in that. Now, again, this by no means absolves us of personal responsibility, okay? The Lord works, you know, uh, you know, in our personal responsibility. So, again, if we've been responsible, if we work hard, there are principles throughout all the scriptures that we will be blessed and the Lord will increase our wealth. There are also principles that, you know, if 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 we if we won't work, if we are, you know, if we're lazy, if, you know, if we won't apply ourselves, if we're not personally responsible, then the Lord will allow or even send poverty. So there are reasons why the Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. And again, clearly throughout the scriptures, you know, why he decides to do each of these things is very much tied to you know, how responsible we are in living for him and obeying him and repenting where we fall short. Uh, every one of us would obviously acknowledge, right, Nathan, that we're more comfortable when we have more money to steward. We, we just are. Um, and we have to be careful because that can be an idol. Our comfort should not be in our bank account, but it, it ought to be in Christ. OK. Um, and, and again, this is this is difficult. Um, you know, the. Uh, you know, I was sitting with uh, with Alicia yesterday and, uh, you know, she asked me, she's a an older sister. And, uh, you know, we were at the diner. Um, she's in her 70s and, uh, you know, and she's she's really trying to follow Jesus. And, uh, you know, she said, what about the I was telling her about this, this, this part of the series that I'm getting into. And she said, what about the, uh, 
you know, what about what Jesus said? It's, it's hard for a, a rich man to get to heaven. What does that mean? And, uh, you know, Jesus said it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to get to heaven. And that's because the more money you have, the more wealth that we have, uh, the more we naturally tend to trust in that money. And it, and it's, and it, and it, and it takes a, a deliberate uh, intentionality that's, that's not easy to truly begin to trust in Christ increasingly in your moment by moment, day by day. It, for most of us as Christians and as disciples, you know, we're willing to trust Jesus you know, with our sin. We're willing to trust Jesus with our eternal destiny. We're willing to trust Jesus to bring us to heaven. Um, but trusting Jesus with our moment by moment, day to day life, trusting Jesus with, you know, with our money and put and having our trust in him, you know, as opposed to the fact that we have a comfortable bank account, um, it is not an easy task. And it's something that, that we really need to be working on day by day, week by week, month by month, all the years of our life. Um, so again, there's there, it, it ultimately, you know, if you, you do have wealth today and in, you know, in the West, in first world countries, you know, whether we're in America, whether we're, you know, you're in Europe, the where you're in, you know, almost all of Asia, um, you know, we've all been given immense wealth by the Lord, but it's his and we are stewards of it. And yes, the more faithfully we'll, we'll see, the more faithfully that we steward our time, talents and treasure with Jesus, the more, you know, he'll give us to steward. But again, the point to make now is that it's not ours. Our money is not ours. Okay. All right. Um, let's look at this next principle of money. Proverbs 13, 11 says dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. So in the accumulation of wealth, and again, no matter how much we accumulate or how much we have, it's all belongs to our heavenly father. It all belongs to Jesus. It all belongs to the Holy Spirit. Everything is the property of the triune God. But dishonest money dwindles away. But he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. There's no blessing on money that comes from lying, from manipulation, um, you know, that comes from, from dishonesty. Okay. So in uh, most of us, if we look into our lives, you know, we can see, you know, we, we say little things, we do little things. Maybe we cut some corners on our taxes. Um, you know, dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Now, again, this is, this is a process I want to stress. Okay. Growing to, to live our lives and, and walk with Jesus and, and be meticulous about these things is a lifelong process. It's a, a two-step forward, one-step-back process, right, Susan? So as long as we're moving forward, okay, there's no condemnation here. There's no shame. There's no guilt. But when we think about this, right, Gwenda, we ought to, you know, we ought to, we ought to really examine ourselves and say, you know, where am I you know, where are these little areas where I'm, I'm just not as clean as I ought to be with, with, with how I, you know, how I get money and how I, you know, how I'm, you know, using money or acquiring money or in, in what ways am I, you know, or am I, am I not a hundred percent? And we ought to be looking to, to more and more, you know, just, you know, whatever money we have, whatever money we gather, whatever money we receive, that we do it in a completely upright fashion before the Lord. All right. Quick word on uh, on debt here, okay? Um, and you know, uh, we could do a whole teaching on debt, but let's let's look at Romans thirteen verse eight, and we'll just simply we'll discuss this verse, and you know, that's what we're going to talk about regarding debt. But Romans thirteen eight says, "Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another, for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law." It's a powerful verse, okay? So apparently the debt to love one another is always there. You are indebted to love me, okay? And I understand that that's not easy. I can be hard to love, and I'm sure I'm about to get a dozen amens right there. But you are indebted to love me, and I'm indebted to love you. Romans 13, 8. Let it sit there. Let no debt remain outstanding except 
the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. It's just a powerful verse. You see that, Becky? Look at that pop. Accept the continuing debt to love one another, for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. But the first, you know, five words says, let no debt remain outstanding. So, you know, we, as, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we do need to pay our debts. Okay. Um, there are things that happen, you know, there, you know, there are, you know, we can, we can get into tough times. We can get down. Sometimes we, we build up credit card debt. Things happen. We have to claim bankruptcy and, and we live in a culture where, you know, where bankruptcy does dismiss your debts. Okay. Um, and that's the, you know, that's the legal policy of the country you live in. Um, and those are the laws you're under, but you know, when you borrow money from someone, you, you ought to pay it back. Um, you know, almost all debt has, has interest on it, right? So as believers, we, we don't want to steward the Lord's money and pay unnecessary interest. So again, of course, there are times and seasons where we use credit cards, but as a rule, we ought to live inside of our means and, and pay off our debts. I'm not saying there's not a time where we have debt. Uh, certainly there were times in my life where, where, where I had debt, um, but you know, it's uh, still have debt in my house, right? Um, but you know, we, we, we ought to try to get to a place where we're not paying interest, you know, on things where we can help it. I understand there are car payments and all these things. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously when we're paying interest on debt, whatever it is, we're just, you know, that, that money is lost. So it's, it's generally not a good use of money to have interest bearing debt. So again, when we borrow money from a brother or sister in Christ, when we borrow money from anyone, Again, we ought to be intentional about paying it back. Let no debt remain outstanding. Um, and so again, I'm not saying there's never a time to have debt. Surely, you know, we live in a culture where, you, you know, almost everyone's going to have to get a, you know, a loan to get a house. Almost everyone will have to loan to get a car. But we ought to live in a manner where we're looking to pay off our debts and for the most part, be as debt free as possible. So hopefully that makes sense. Now let's look at our attitude about money, because uh, the majority of us, not strike that, not the majority, all of us like having more money than less, okay? Without being super spiritual, okay? Um, all of us are more comfortable, Stephen, when we have more money than when we have less, okay? That is what it is. Um, but we, we need to be careful about our obsession with money, about our over-focus on money. We need to be responsible with it but we cannot love money. Look at Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. It's a powerful, powerful verse. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. We want to look inside our hearts and again, uh, really all of us, all of us have have too much focus on money. And again, we've for many of us who've gotten to this place in our Christian life where we have enough money, it's a lot easier. You know, sometimes I'm, you know, sometimes we can get overly spiritual as ministers. And this is a grief to me. And, and we're unaware that whether we be ministers or pastors or elders or deacons or, or leaders in the church, or just, you know, Christians and disciples, we can often forget that when we're in a comfortable place with money, where we have plenty of money, where we have no concern for money, life is a whole lot easier for us, okay? It is. Now, we also have more responsibility, right? Because everything belongs to the Lord. And, you know, the more money we have, the, the more responsibility we have in stewarding it. But just from a... a a practical on the ground standpoint, it's hard when you don't have enough money to pay the bills. And, and so we want to be careful that we're true to the scriptures, but at the same time that we're not kind of, you know, out of touch. We can get to a place where, you know, we forget that it's a whole lot easier to have enough money to pay your bills, enough money to buy food, enough money to have a nice bank account, enough money to have a nice retirement. And somehow we can start thinking that, 
you know, that just forgetting that the vast majority of people in the world who are not in that place, you know, it's it's harder for them. And it's not that we're necessarily more righteous. It's 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 not because we've necessarily done everything better. Certainly, yes, there are principles that, you know, when we when we gather money little by little, when we do it correctly, when we don't live above our means, then yes, you know, we'll be more stable financially. And so our responsibility plays a great role in it. But we ought not forget that, you know, when someone is in a difficult financial place, it is harder. Okay. Now, again, how to help people in that is a skill as well. Because generally, when people are in a, a difficult place, there are times when it's, you know, when, when really, it, it, you know, it happens that it's, uh, you know, that it's just, it's, it's a mere coincidence or it really wasn't their fault. But the vast majority of times when, when someone in a first world country, you know, is, is, uh, is having struggles with money, it's because, you know, uh, they haven't managed it correctly. Okay. And so, again, using money is a skill. Um, but again, we don't want to carry ourselves, you know, without really understanding that that for those who have less, those who are trying to just put food on a table, it's harder. I heard a stat the other day um, that said uh, it was on a stock market channel and uh, that said 70 percent of Americans do not have enough money in the bank to cover a $400 emergency. That seems incomprehensible to most of us. Now, there will be people who are listening to this that would say, yeah, that's my life. That That's hard. Okay. And again, uh, you know, unless someone has, you know, gotten sick and, you know, there's been, there's been emergencies, you know, almost always, you know, uh, you know, people are in this place because they are living above their means. But, you know, sometimes people are just, you know, in a place where they're just they're living paycheck to paycheck. They're trying to get caught up. Um, and so it's just, uh, you know, what is that like? 70% of Americans don't have $400 to cover an emergency in the bank. Wow. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So again, keep your lives free from the love of money. What is the love of money? It's just a, an over-focus, an over-desire to have more and more and more and more. And again, if we're all to look at it, every one of us is more comfortable the more money we have. But we do need to be content in the situation we're in. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. It's the fact that Jesus is with you, that that that, that you're, you're growing to be a disciple of Jesus Christ that matters. And this isn't easy, right, Kristen? It's, it's, it's not easy, Nathan, right, to live a life where you're free from the love of money. Very few of us are utterly free. And again, just because you have more money doesn't mean you're free. Generally, you're often less free. And just because you don't have any money doesn't mean you're free from the love of money either. Again, almost none of us are free. We are all at some level tied to money in our time and in our culture at a certain level. So growing to have a freedom, a complete freedom in the love of money will be a lifelong process of submitting to Christ. Paul's going to outline this here in 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 10. Look at it. Well, before that, I'm going to read Matthew 6, 24. Matthew 6, 24. This is Jesus speaking. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Wow. You cannot serve both God and money. And again, for the vast majority of us as Christians and disciples, you know, we are serving money in a certain way. Now, listen, this is no excuse for us to not go out and work and do the work the Lord has given us to do and to, to earn a living so that, you know, we can we can pay our bills and we can support our families and we can, uh, you know, and we can be a blessing to others. You know, that's our responsibility. But you can't serve both God and money. 
And, and for many Christians, although they've received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and even people who are in the discipleship process, money is a, a, a God to them, a little G God. It's an idol. I mean, just, just, just again, step back and think to yourself, how much time do I spend focusing on money? And it is a hard question because when you don't have enough money to pay the bills, yeah, I get it. It's hard to not focus on money when you need money for food and for rent and, 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 to, and to put you know, food on the table. And so obviously there does have to be you know, a legitimate focus on earning enough money to do those things. But even for those of us who have enough, even for those of us who, you know, who have enough money to pay the bills and we're not worrying about where we're going to get our next meal or you know, uh, pay, the, pay the rent or the mortgage or the car payments or whatever it is, um, again, how much time do we focus on money? No one can serve two masters, Jesus said. You can't serve God and money. And so again, it's, do you see how much is here in the scriptures? You know, when I was studying this, I read a, uh, you know, I read some stats. I did not know this. There are around 500 scriptures in the Bible on prayer. There are around 500 scriptures in the Bible on faith. That's immense. That's wonderful. There are over 2,000 scriptures on money. Let that sit. Wow. Speaks for itself, right? Apparently, it's, a, it's an important subject. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Very sobering warning. But look what he says. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Being content with the money we have. And let me say it again. So, Because again, we get confused. As pastors, as elders, we really do. Um, if, if you believe you've, you've, never, you've never had this problem, then, then you're certainly deceived. Okay? As am I. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It's a lot easier to be content when we have more money. Now, certainly we have more responsibility before Jesus, but it's easier to be content when the mortgage is paid than when it's not. So we don't want to be super spiritual either, okay? It's easier to be content when the car payment is made, when the insurance on the car is, is paid. It's easier to be content when we have more, okay, in certain ways. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And look what Paul says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Why don't we own anything? Why is it that everything belongs to Jesus in this world? There's a simple reason. Because you can't keep it. Everything is on loan to you. The reason it all ultimately belongs to Jesus, the primary reason, is because you're going to die. And I'm going to die. Ultimately, everything we have is on loan. Every material possession we have is on loan. Every dime we have is on loan because we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Now, it's interesting, and uh, you know, we're going to go through this in the, in the last teaching on money, that that won't be the case. In the next life, you will actually have, you will be given things by Jesus that you will own and they will be yours for all eternity, and obviously the reason you'll be able to own them is you'll never die again, and you won't have to give them back. Wow. People who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. So again, the desire to have more and more and more and more, the focus on getting more. Okay, so if we're focused on, on getting more money and the Lord is blessing us and giving us more money, boy, we ought to be giving more money. We, you know, the more we have, the more we ought to be giving into the kingdom of God, into the son of God, into the gospel of God, the word of God. And we're going to get into that in, uh, in the next teaching as to, again, 
um, how much we're to be giving, where to, where we're to be giving. Um, but again, the more money we have, the, the, the more we ought to be giving, and on a percentage basis. Look at Mark 12, 41 to 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. That's interesting. So Jesus sits down opposite the place, just boldly sits down and watches everyone. And Jesus is watching us. <laughs> yeah. Let that sink in, Lauren. Okay. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. You see that, Corinne? Jesus is still watching today. Jesus knows what we're giving. Jesus knows how much of our money we give and how much we use for ourselves and our life and our bills and our comfort and our pleasure and our vacations and our hobbies and our retirement and our savings. It all really speaks for itself. And how much we're using in the advancement of his kingdom, in the advancement of the gospel, how much we're giving to serve and help others who are, who are less fortunate than us. He's watching. Jesus sat down, Stephen, opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So uh, Jesus is aware of what we're giving. He's aware of the wealth we have. Again, ultimately, it all belongs to him. And giving is a skill, okay? Knowing how much to give, where to give, when to give, how to use money in giving and in itself. All of this is a skill that, again, we submit ourselves to as disciples of Jesus Christ. And again, we're going to get uh, get to that in the, in, the, uh, in the next teaching. All right. Wow. Whew. Golly, that's, that, that's, that scripture's heavy. All right. Uh, Matthew, uh, uh, Hebrews 13, verse 16. Hebrews 13, 16, and do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Okay. So again, um, we ought to be consistently looking to be a blessing, looking to do good, looking to be generous and do not forget to do good and share with others for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. First Timothy 6, 17, command those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, and that's not easy to do, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So again, it's our heavenly father. It's our master and king, the Lord Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who provides us, who richly provides us with everything, right? And he does give it to us for, for us to enjoy. But again, we ought to, you know, we ought to be looking to be a blessing to others, right? All right. Um, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Speak for itself, right? Look at Proverbs nineteen seventeen. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. That's a principle. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. Jesus, and he will reward him for what he has done. When you have a heart to be a blessing to those less fortunate than you, okay? And again, you give a little bit to a charity that's feeding the poor, that's fine. You ought to consistently look to be a blessing to those that the Lord has in your life, that those has around the Lord, the, the, those the Lord has around you that have less means than you, okay? Um, wherever you are, if you're out with someone, Okay. And you know, you're together and you know, the person has less means you ought to be more generous to them than they are to you. Okay. Uh, Proverbs 22, nine, a generous man will himself be blessed. Bam. Are you generous? Are you generous with money? Or are you, are you, are you tight? Do you look to pay where you go? Now, again, we get it. It's not, you know, 
Again, the more money you have, the more you can be generous with. But make no mistake, if, you, if, you're, not, if you're not generous, you know, when you have $1,000 in the bank in savings, you won't be generous when you have $10,000. It's a, it's a skill. It's a principle to grow in. And this is important, okay? Um, everyone can be generous. Obviously, the more money you have, uh, you know, that all belongs to Jesus, by the way, but the more, the more generous you can be and certainly should be. Um, but generosity is something that, that everyone, regardless of how much money they have, can and should practice. And the more you practice it, the more you'll desire it, the better you'll get at it, and the more the Lord will undoubtedly give you so you can be more generous. A generous man will himself be blessed for he shares his food with the poor, okay? Our generosity you know, should not be manipulative, meaning we ought not be generous and call it generosity if we're giving because we know we want the person to know we're giving because we can get something back from it. <laughs> yeah, let hold on. Let, just let that sink in right there, Tom. Okay, let me say that again. It's not generosity if we're giving something to someone or giving a gift or buying someone or helping someone if we know in our heart we're calculating that what we're doing is gonna 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 open some door for us to somewhere or be a blessing to us somewhere does that make sense that's why both of these say he shares his food with the poor because again the poor can't do anything for you true generosity is not looking for anything in return look at james 127 on this point religion that god our father accepts as pure and faultless is this religion that God our Father, right? We have a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, God the, God the Holy Spirit. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows and their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Why orphans and widows? Why is that faultless? Well, again, you're, when, you're, when you're looking after them, when you're, when you're generous to an orphan or widow, when you're giving to people like orphans and widows, an orphan and widow, right, Leah, can do nothing for you in return. The reason that it's faultless is because you're giving to people who really can't do anything for you, okay? So our generosity with money, you know, needs to be with a heart that we're not looking for anything in return. And again, the reason it's pure and faultless is because an orphan or widow could do nothing for you in return. So obviously you weren't giving to get, Proverbs eleven twenty five. A generous man will prosper. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Again, when you're just looking to be a blessing, when you're looking to pay, when you're looking to be generous, it says you will prosper. And again, every one of us can be generous according to the means we currently have. Look at Psalms one twelve verse five. Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice. So again, um, with our money, we ought to be growing to be generous. Now again, generosity is a skill, okay? It's, it's something we grow in, it's something we mature in, it's something we get better at. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is a skill. We begin again by humbling ourselves before Jesus. We, we spend time in the scriptures reading and studying and, and obeying the word of God, our Bible. We spend time in repentance. And as we do these things moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, decade by decade, throughout our life, you increasingly get better at it. You increasingly get to be more transformed, right? You get to be more like Christ. You start thinking more like Jesus. Your desire for Jesus grows. But again, th these aren't things that just happen overnight, Look at what our heart ought to be. Look at Acts 20, 35. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Acts 20, 35, Paul said, In everything I did, I showed you, but in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. I mean, the more we can give, right, it's more blessed to give than receive. Now, listen, it's important we understand that, that there are times we need to receive, 
Okay. I, I know people in my life who want to give, who want to give, who want to give, but yet they're, they're often in a place where they need to be receiving. Okay. And so they have beautiful hearts to give and they look to give. And again, for those of us who have more means, we ought to be looking to give. And, you know, again, it's a skill. Okay. But it's, it's more blessed to give than receive. So we ought to have a lifestyle of, again, where we want to grow to be the giver. But if the Lord has you in a position where you need to be the receiver, then we need to receive. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Thank you, Lord, for this blessing that we get to be givers. Wow. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Famous words from Jesus, right? Um, you know, we ought not be looking to store up more and more and more treasure and things here on earth. It, the, the, you know, ultimately we can't keep them. It's all going to fade away. The more we are using our money in the advancement of the cause of Christ, to serve Christ, to serve the Son of God, the Word of God, the people of God, the more we'll store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We could do a whole teaching just on that. Wow. Wow. Whew. All right. Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Okay. You want to honor Jesus with your money. Uh, you know, the, the first priority of our money is to honor Christ. Okay. The first, the first thing that should come to our minds when we have money. And again, this is hard. I'm going to say over and over, it's a skill. It's a process. Um, there's no condemnation, but we want to, first of all, we want to admit, yeah, Generally, the first thing I think about with money is not Jesus and how I can bless him and his kingdom. And again, in the next teaching, we're going to talk about where to give and how much to give. And again, that's a skill too, but that's clearly laid out in scripture. But honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of your crops. So again, you want to be giving as the first thing. The Lord doesn't get the leftovers, right? All right. And uh, we'll end with 2 Corinthians 9 verses 6 through 11, and Paul's just going to give you a principle here, a tremendous principle about money and giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 11, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's not a big mystery, right? So again, if, you know, depending on your means, okay, uh, you know, again, and it's not a gumball machine. It's a process. It's a heart. Okay. So the more you, it's a lifestyle. So it's not just like saying, you know, I don't have enough money in the bank to pay my mortgage, but I'm going to go give it away because I want this to be, to be true in my life. It's a process of becoming more and more. It's a day by day process. Okay. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This is a lifelong process of growing to, 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 to sow generously, right? Verse 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly under, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So again, it's not that we have to be generous, it's that we get to. Right. And again, we want to ask, we want to in prayer, ask the Lord to help us to be better stewards, more generous stewards, more other centered, Christ centered stewards of our money. Verse eight. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You see that, Esther? Verse nine, as it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor his righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower, Jesus, and bread for food, Jesus, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Wow. So again, as we continue to give, as we continue to be generous, as we continue to skillfully be a blessing, as we continue to look for places where we can use our money, 
It says, now he who supplies seed to the sower, he's the one he gives you the money to give it. It's his. And bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. He'll increase your money as you're generous and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And there, there's the wow. May he'll enlarge the harvest of our righteousness. You know, the blessing that comes from it is, again, um, you know, what will return. It's a sowing and reaping principle. You see it, Jason? Again, uh, the, the, it is very real that, that God is not mocked. Galatians 6, right? We reap what we sow. Verse 11, you'll be made rich in every way. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you just for this. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, just for just the profound insights in your word, in our Bible, on how to handle and manage and steward your money that you've given us to steward and manage. Father, I ask you to forgive me where I have failed, where I have had too big a focus on money, Father. Um, forgive me where I've been too careless, Lord. Forgive me where I've been too self-serving. Father, I ask you to help us to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I ask you to convict us that we would begin this process of growing to understand that everything we have belongs to you. Our time, our gifts, our talents, our skills, our capabilities, the things we're good at, um, you know, and, and all of our money, all of our resources, all of our homes, that everything is yours, Lord. And, that, and for those of us who have so much, you know, you're the one that's blessed us, Lord. We could have done nothing. So help us to begin now to, to, to really, to really, Lord, walk in this principle. Forgive us, Lord, where, you know, where we're really money has been our God. Forgive us where we've trusted in money, Lord. We know that it's hard for a rich man to get to heaven because it's so hard for him to not trust in his money for it's his money that's gotten him everything he wants. It's his money that's given him his comfort. Lord Jesus, we worship you and thank you for your word. We thank you for living for us and dying for us, Lord. We just love you and thank you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal this message to our hearts now. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.